0: Alright, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. It can be found on page 1018 in the Pew Bible. 1018 in the Pew Bible. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would speak to us. We recognize that long ago you spoke through the prophets, but in these last days you have spoken to us through your son. So now even in this moment, would you speak to us through your word that we might know you better? In Jesus name, amen. How do we know something to be true? How can you have certainty that some claim is true? Have you encountered a, an objection to your faith that sounded something like this? What you believe is just legend. Fairy tale. A clever made-up story. They made up all that stuff. I heard something like this when I worked at Target back in Louisville. The question we have is, how do you respond to to something like that? And how can you know with certainty that what is proclaimed as truth about Christ is actually something that is worth believing and sticking your life upon? Well, these are some of the questions that our text begins to answer for us as we look at the approach of the Apostle Peter and as we seek to be grounded and established in our faith and have a certainty of the truth. Because this isn't just a message for skeptics right? how you can answer a skeptic but for the church and how you can remain confident in the truth that you have received because what happens what happens when the truth is challenged the one who professes faith in Christ might have a tendency to deviate from the truth or doubt the truth Or they might not be sure how to defend the faith. And in our text this morning, Peter provides his testimony to the truth as he seeks to combat false teaching, defend his truth claims, and ground the church's confidence in Christ and in the promises of God. In Peter's testimony and defense, we recognize that the apostles did not present false myths, and the prophets did not speak out of their own will. Peter gives us two reasons for why we can be certain of the truth about Christ, specifically regarding the promise of a second coming, that, because that's what was under attack. But we see two reasons. An, an eyewitness testimony, you see this in the outline, an eyewitness testimony and the prophetic word. And then we'll look at some practical implications from this. So first... An eyewitness testimony. We can be certain of the truth about Christ, specifically in regard to the promise of His return, because the message, the truth that was made known, is rooted in eyewitness testimony. It is rooted in eyewitness testimony. Notice verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. Peter reminds his audience that he did not make up clever stories, cleverly devised myths, when he made known, when they made known to the church about the power and coming of Christ, which is a reference to the second coming of of Christ. As the church was taught about the promise of the second coming, they need to know that this isn't something that was just made up. Perhaps the false teachers were claiming that it was myth. It was a myth. When we think of myths, oftentimes we think of fiction. Something that a lot of people hold to, ah, it's just a myth. It's just, it's a false idea. We might also be familiar with the term myths from Greek mythology. I had to study that in school. Greek mythology, the ancient stories about the gods and the goddesses of the Greeks. While recognized to be untrue, they provided information about the belief system of the ancient world. A myth was an old story, largely fable, sometimes mixed with fact, and held some moral truths in it. There was a moral truth in it. And what was going on in Peter's day even happens today. The Bible and the events of the events and the people in the Bible are often dismissed. The stories are said to be myth or legend. A real think about this. A real Adam and Eve? A worldwide flood? Ten plagues in Egypt, a Red Sea crossing, right? They crossed on dry land, dry ground. A virgin birth, miracles, a resurrection, an ascension into heaven, a future return, a future bodily return of Jesus. To some. It sounds like cleverly invented stories. It sounds like the ancient world, the gods and goddesses of, of the Greeks and the Romans. So what Peter addresses here has relevance for today. In fact, it has so much relevance. I was actually, I was on Yahoo website yesterday. I was on the Yahoo website, and you know you see those like little ads on the side. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that on the internet. You see these little ads, and uh, or these little articles. Well, I was scrolling through it now, and I saw this one. It said, "21 of the most famous people that probably never existed." Well, I thought, "Oh, well, I'm actually going to be preaching about something like this tomorrow." And uh, so, what do I do? I clicked on. It. I don't normally don't click on these things, but I clicked on it just to see some of the people that they had listed that were myth. Shakespeare well and of course they throw in their Moses and Jesus and and the Apostle Paul they throw in a number of people even that we would say what it's, it's relevant this has relevance for us today notice Peter doesn't want just want the church to to go to in an, any extreme or be persuaded by the false teachers So he firmly rejects the notion that his claims about Christ and specifically regarding the promise of a future return, a second coming, are not made up stories. It's not myth. So he defends himself and his claims. Notice, how does he do it? The end of verse 16 through 18. The end of verse 16 through 18. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter defends his case by boldly declaring that he was an eyewitness to his majesty. And then he describes that he he saw something, he heard something. The testimony of people who had not been there, who were eyewitnesses, who saw and heard, right not in a dream, not in some vision, testimony gives gives evidence to what's being proclaimed. Your faith in Christ is not blind faith. It is not blind faith. Eyewitness testimony validates and gives confirmation to what has been proclaimed as truth. That Peter and the apostles did not make up stories about Jesus. This was a common practice in the New Testament for people who were concerned. They were, they were really concerned with the truth. I don't know if you realize that. They were really concerned with, with truth. And they would go to verifiable evidence. Right? In Acts 2, as As Peter is proclaiming what's happened to them, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he proclaims Christ. In Acts 2, he says, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he proclaims the gospel to the church in Corinth, right? He he describes describes the, the death of Christ on our behalf, right? He was... Christ died on the cross for our sins. And then he he validates that by saying, he validates the death by saying that he was buried. Right? So a real death occurred. And then he says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. How does he validate this? That he appeared. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James Then to all the apostles. In other words, if you wondered in the first century if he rose again, if you wondered that in the first century, go ask. Go ask people. They were still alive. Many of them were still alive. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to multiple people at multiple times and in multiple settings. Eyewitness testimony brings confirmation that what has been stated is true. I'm not certain, or I'm not, I'm not in, a, in a courtroom very often. Right? Maybe you guys are. I'm not, I'm not in a courtroom very often. But we all know the value and benefit of eyewitness testimony, don't we? Someone who saw and heard of an event... That they have witnessed. That's significant. Now the question that you might have, and that I have, that I wrestled with all week, is why does Peter defend the second coming of Christ in such a surprising way? He wasn't an eyewitness to the second coming because the second coming hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for it. Why not appeal to the ascension of Jesus, the voice of the angels declaring in Acts 1, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. Same way he went up, he's coming back. Why not appeal to that? Instead, he refers to the transfiguration. You recall how Peter, James, and John were, were led up to a high mountain by Jesus. This is from Matthew 17. Mark 9, Luke 9. Well, let me just read Matthew seventeen two through 5. This is the account. And Jesus, he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus told them as they went down the mountain, Jesus told them not to, to tell anyone until after he had been raised from the dead. And this is the eyewitness account that Peter refers to here. So, so the question is what, what's going on? Why does Peter use this story, this eyewitness account, to point to the reality of Christ returning in power and glory? All right, I wrestled with this all week. When you go back and read the context of the transfiguration, What you see is that Jesus and the gospel writers, they tied the Son of Man coming in glory and honor and power with the transfiguration. So Jesus ties this together. The gospel writers tie these two things together. The transfiguration involved a transformation of Christ's appearance. It revealed his glorious and majestic nature as the reigning king, And Peter was there to see it. The transfiguration foreshadowed the glory and the power of Christ that would be displayed in his future coming. But first, he had to suffer and die on a cross for the sins of his people. The second coming of Christ, then, is a revelation of the glory of Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every eye will see it. And Peter is declaring then, I had an anticipation of it. I saw what it's like with my own eyes. And he heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Peter states, we were with him. We were with him on this holy mountain. It's not just my own experience. It was the experience of the other apostles who were eyewitnesses as well. So to see and to hear and to be with Christ and to experience a foretaste of his glory served as evidence that should strengthen the church, should strengthen us concerning the truth that Christ will return in glory and honor. We can be certain of the truth about Christ and the promise of His return because the message is rooted in eyewitness testimony. Second, the prophetic word. We can be certain of the truth about Christ and specifically the promise of His return because the message is rooted in the prophetic word in the, in the Old Testament scriptures. So look with me now at, at 19 through 21. So the truth that Peter proclaimed is not only verified by the experiences of the apostles, now it is confirmed by the words of the prophets. The prophetic word in verse 19 most likely refers to the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. The prophetic parts in the Old Testament. Now, I think we could see in this section that it can be applied to the Old Testament as a whole. What's true of the Old Testament prophets is true of the whole. We can be sure that Christ will return because the Scripture is reliable. God's Word is reliable. The Old Testament predicted and foretold of Christ's reign as King over all and the promise of a new creation. I don't have time to unfold and unpack all these, but we can even see these promises and predictions in Genesis 3. Genesis 49, if you want to study these on your own. Numbers 24, 17. And in Psalm 2, we read this. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession.'" We see prophecies in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65. We see prophecies in Daniel. The the list list goes on. We would spend hours looking at all these prophecies. The prophets looked forward to a future day. They spoke of the day of the Lord and the end of history when the righteous would be vindicated and the, the unrighteous would be punished. But what's significant here about what Peter says is that what the prophet spoke didn't come from someone's own interpretation. You notice that? It didn't come from someone's own interpretation. In other words, the prophecies in scripture, the words in scripture didn't come from the prophets' own ideas or their own imagination. It wasn't out of their own impulse or their own interpretation that they wrote what they did. And Jeremiah, The false prophets were known for visions coming from their own minds. Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17. Listen listen to these verses. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, Not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. Some marks of a false teacher, false hope, speaking out of their own thoughts, and giving good news to those who despise the word. False prophets in Ezekiel 13 were those who invented their own prophecies, followed their own imaginations, and had, not, had seen nothing at all. Which would have been true of Peter's day and those whom Peter is combating. The words of the prophets in Scripture are reliable, because it didn't come from their own imagination. Notice verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We gain insight and understanding of our view of scripture from this passage. We recognize 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's it's breathed out by God. It is inspired by God. The idea here then also is that the words of the prophets, human authors, spoke from God. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit, driven along by the Spirit, so that what they wrote is what God intended them to write. This is not dictation they were not in some sort of trance the prophets raised their sails so to speak and in their own history in their own personality the Holy Spirit the wind carried them along to the destination that 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 God would want them to go and God would have them go so that what they spoke is God's word written through human authors God let holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit write the Bible. That's what we believe about Scripture. Such that the author of Hebrews can say in Hebrews 3 and then in Hebrews 4, he quotes Psalm 95, he can say, The Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. And then he says in chapter 4, Through David, and then he quotes Psalm 95. 95. The Holy Spirit says, David says, God spoke through human authors. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit and wrote what God intended to be written. Therefore, we can be certain of the truth of what Peter has spoken because it's not only rooted in eyewitness testimony, but it's confirmed through the prophets who spoke not their own words, but what God would have, God would intend for them to write. Eyewitness testimony, And the words of the prophets confirm the truth about Christ. So now what? Now what? What are the practical implications for us? I see three implications for us as we apply this to our lives. Implication number one, pay attention to the word. Pay attention to the word. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You will do well. It is right. It is good. It is the duty and responsibility of a believer to pay attention to God's word. The idea would be to, to keep it in close proximity. We are to pay attention as a lamp Shining in a dark place. What's the purpose of a lamp? We use a lamp to give us light so that we can see. Right? That's what I use a lamp for. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. Scripture is a lamp so that we might see the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, He rose again and is returning as King over all. And we are to have our lives guided by it. Take away the Bible, and we lose the light. As individuals, if we diminish the Scriptures in our lives, then we won't be able to see in the darkness. And we will be dwelling in darkness. As a church, if we lose the scriptures, then the church will go into darkness. And unfortunately, this has happened to too many churches today. Let's just dismiss. Let's just dismiss the Old Testament. No! So let's pay attention to the Bible, let's look to it, let's guide our lives by it. Implication number two, do not dismiss the truth in God's Word or deviate from it. This this relates to to the first implication. How long? Right? That's the question. How long are we to pay attention to the Word? That's the question we ask in our text. Notice the end of verse 19. Until. The day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is one of the ways Peter was, saying, was speaking of the return of Christ. Until the return of Christ. Until the day dawns. Until we are truly in the presence of the light. And at that time the predictions of the prophets in the Old Testament will be fully realized when Christ returns. We are to pay attention to the word until Christ returns. We need God's Word until the morning star rises in our hearts. Only then will we have full understanding. Therefore, we must not think that we have all knowledge, or are somehow enlightened, and have no need for the Bible. It's possible, even probable, that the false teachers would have claimed to have been enlightened. Oh, we're the enlightened ones. We're, we're, we've been illumined spiritually and intellectually and say, here's what they might have said. You don't need to listen to the apostles. You don't need the Bible. Listen to us. We see this today as well. The tendency for professing Christians to dismiss or deviate from the Bible because intellectually, we know better. We know better, right? You can hear a false teacher. Then, and even today, say something like this. The prophets lived a long time ago. They were smart guys. They had personal insights. And they wrote those things down for us. But we know more. We know better. We can dismiss what they said. That part isn't important. Or they might add what the Bible really means about Christ's return, right? Specifically, this is regarding Christ's return. What the Bible really means about Christ's return is that justice will win out in the end. So they just dismiss a future physical, bodily return. Justice will win out in the end. The problem with this is that it's a misunderstanding of what Scripture is. It is the very Word of God. When you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, which I am so thankful that we do. I'm so thankful we do this on Sunday morning, on Wednesday nights, and here on during our worship service. When you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, none of it can be dismissed. We are not just reading something that someone wrote a long time ago. We are reading the word of the living God. And John, as John, 2 John warns us, we must not go beyond or run ahead of the teaching of Christ, but we must remain in it. Implication number three. Defend it. Defend it. When you witness to someone, maybe a skeptic, or maybe a professing Christian who is, who's being tempted to follow false teaching, or maybe you're in need of assurance and, and confirmation and confidence in, in the truth of God's Word. All right? suppose, suppose that's you today. Or when you are witnessing to someone, consider Peter's approach. Consider Peter's approach. He uses eyewitness testimony and the words of the prophets to confirm and validate what we believe. We can appeal to the evidence of events in history to help a skeptic, and to build confidence for other believers. Let's defend our faith like Peter. Right, Point people to eyewitness accounts. These people in the Bible that really lived, these people's lives were transformed by Jesus. They gave up their former religion, their former way of life, to die for the cause of Christ. People aren't willing to die for something they know to be a lie. Have you ever thought about that? People aren't willing to die for something they know to be a lie. People are willing to die for something they believe is true. And they have confidence in. They were fully convinced of the truth about Christ because they were eyewitnesses to His Majesty. Point people to Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled in Christ. You can go through the Old Testament prophecy, 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 fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. Prediction fulfilled. Prediction fulfilled. Over and over, countless number of prophecies. We stand on a firm foundation. The apostles saw and heard the truth about Jesus, and the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing what God intended, which testifies to the truth about Jesus. So let's hold fast to the truth in God's Word as we await the return of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have a firm foundation. We have a strong and sure foundation in your word. We give you thanks for the eyewitness testimony, the eyewitness accounts of the apostles who heard and saw Christ and proclaimed it and were willing to die for Christ. We give you thanks that they wrote it down for us and we have scripture. We give you thanks for the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to the reality of Christ rule and reign over all things and the new creation is coming and I do pray that you would strengthen our confidence in your word confidence in what we believe that you might help us defend our faith that you might help us proclaim it and live in it. that we would pay attention to your word and not dismiss any of it we have a firm foundation in Jesus name we pray Amen.